It's noon here in Ventnor City, New Jersey, and our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and this is news that you can use from Car Edge for Wednesday, October 18th, with your hosts, me, Ray, and, well, apparently, Zach does own a button shirt with a collar. One of them. Okay. Well, it looks good. I, you know, whatever Thank you, you do, every once in a while. Yeah, whatever you do, don't wash it or launder it in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but... <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. All right. Here's the deal, folks. I'm going to take the compliment. I'm going to let all the other parts of that roll off my back. Here's the deal, folks. The auto apocalypse for American automakers. Yeah. We talked about it yesterday on the show, specifically about Ford. But, Dad, new headlines today that are making me want to per- turn our attention to the other American automakers just as well. We've got three stories queued up to continue that conversation. The first one right here, Dad. Stellantis yeah. pulls out of CES Tech Expo, citing UAW strike cost savings. Stellantis has used the world's largest technology expo to unveil EV concepts such as the Ram 1500 Revolution pickup and Chrysler Airflow crossover. Example A of one of the American automakers, in this case, the pseudo-American automaker, <laughs> Stellantis, saying, you know what, because of the strike and because our vehicles are sitting around, which we will get into that as well, we are going to start saving on on expenses we're not going to uh, invest in being at ces before you jump in before you jump in number two pops number two gm making the decision to delay their electric pickup truck production until late 2025 gm is pushing back on the production of their electric vehicles because of cost savings and one third one for you pops another ford recall Thirty-five thousand mustang Machis are being recalled, a brand new one hot off the presses for this morning. The auto apocalypse for American automakers seems to be coming to fruition. Am I wrong or am I right? Oh, my, you you know, uh, anybody that could come up with the thumbnails that you come up with, you're absolutely, you're right. I mean, goodness gracious, you are, you are, you, you, you are so right. And, you know, I did just, just between you and me and the few people that are watching, I, I, I did take a look at that thumbnail and I did mention to you prior to the show, I said, there are that, that blaze is so big that I don't believe there's enough firefighters in America to be able to put it out. So it, 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 it's got to be so. But if I may, for a second, be serious, isn't Stellantis the, the, weren't they when they reported their, earnings the most profitable of the big three and and to use the uaw strike as an excuse to pull out of the consumer electronics show uh, you know because we're trying to save a few bucks um you know i'm just guessing i'm just Hmm. a guess but but I, i guarantee you their executive team pisses away more money than it costs them for that CES show on, on corporate lunches and stuff. So what, what's the, what's the real reason that they're pulling out of CES? Is it maybe some of the software they're thinking of um, doesn't quite work the way they'd like it to work or isn't worth uh, quite what they'd like to charge for it on a subscription. I mean, what's the real reason? But it, but it ain't because of the UAW strike. I mean, that is, that is such corporate BS. Um, so, 
Now the floor. Let me, let me, well, let's let's stick with Stellantis. We'll go through them okay. one at a time. Okay. The counter argument to what you just said, which makes a lot of up here, Dad, resonate. It makes a lot of sense. The article from Automotive News reads: Stellantis is abandoning abandoning plans to participate in the 2024 CES Tech Expo in a cost saving move it attributed to the ongoing. UAW strike. On Tuesday, Stellantis said it is canceling its display and presentations at the January event, quote, as part of the contingency plan implemented since the beginning of the UAW strike. The company issued in a statement saying it is, quote, executing comprehensive countermeasures to mitigate financial impacts and preserve capital and will continue to demonstrate its transformation into a mobility tech company through other Means so they're coming out and saying that this is part of their contingency plan as a okay. result of not being able to produce vehicles. It is the largest consumer electronics show in the world, in the world, and and your cost cutting savings is going to take you out of that show uh, so that you can uh, you can show uh, the world what you're doing in other ways. Get the hell out of here. That is such crap. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm sorry. You you can you can write it however you want to write it. You can blame it on whatever it is you want to blame it on. And as somebody listening to that, reading that, if you can't discern that that is nothing but pure BS, then there's something wrong with you. That I mean, how much can they spend to be in that show? Is it is it a quarter of a million dollars? Is it a half a million dollars? Okay, to be in the biggest consumer electronics show in the world? Is it a million bucks? It's that is a pittance in a company that made what was it, 18 billion dollars last year? They made 18 billion dollars and the cost cutting that they're looking at is cutting out the consumer electronics show because it might save a million dollars? That's pure nonsense. Just nonsense. Glad to give you the stage there to rant for just a moment. We're going to turn our attention back well, to General well, Motors. Let, because let, let me ask you a question. What do you yeah. see it as? I mean, what, how big can the savings be that, 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 uh, that you pull out of that show? There's something else behind this. I think it's a shot at, at UAW. I think it's intentionally, I, I mean, the positioning of it as cost savings is straight up from the PR department or whatever, corporate strategy. But this is a shot at UAW in the public domain saying, hey, we want to be able to do these things, but we can't because of you. It's it's just it's just deflection of, uh, you know, where the responsibility is in this situation and pointing a finger. That's how I interpret it, Dad. Okay. I, 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 there's validity. I also interpret it as the auto apocalypse. But before we turn our attention <laughs> to General Motors and to yes. Ford, because they are yes. also making some headlines with regards to cost savings and decisions that they've made, an incredibly thoughtful contribution here from oh, Thomas Dittmer. Thank you, Thomas. Thank we will you, Thomas. add this to the Stellantis CES fund, yeah. which we will not be giving to them, but we will at least brand it in that way. Thomas, thank you for the thoughtful $50 contribution. And Thomas had a message for us, Pops. He said, just wanted to think justice space and the rest of the car edge team and community for helping me save $7,300 off of MSRP on a RAV4 prime XSE this summer. Keep doing what you are doing. That's got to make you feel good on this Wednesday pops. Doesn't it, it makes my heart go a flutter. 
It does it's followed up by Jonathan here saying, thanks for the help, guys. 2023 Traverse RS, $3,000 under invoice. Dealers are getting desperate. We, yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about this in just a moment. We are seeing more and more continued negotiability as sales go down. Keep in mind, we are huge proponents of stop buying cars unless you absolutely need to because it will continue to force prices to come back down. Thomas, thank you again. Very, very thoughtful yes. contribution. Dad, what do you make of the GM news? I thought this was pretty shocking. I mean, well, they're they're... Again, the headline reads, GM delays electric pickup production at Michigan plant until late 2025. What do you make of this? Well, they're still building the EV pickup trucks, just at other plants. Um, And the excuse used to delay it at this Orion plant was, um, uh, well, uh, some engineering improvements for additional cost savings. Um, You know, I... Maybe it means since they would have to convert that plant over and that's the plant where they're producing the bolt, maybe it means that they're going to keep producing the bolt a little longer than what they had suggested they were um, because there's a demand for it. And maybe they see um, through their other manufacturing facilities where they are producing the electric Silverados that the demand for those isn't that great. And and so rather than turn their attention to building more of of what people don't seem to want at the moment, they're going to continue to build more of the bolts, which are more affordable and more people seem to be interested in getting into. I mean, let's face it, there's there's a lot more people who would entertain an electric vehicle, even if it is a small one, in the $30,000 price range, as opposed to a sixty dollars to $70,000 electric pickup truck. Just seems to me. You know, it's interesting, Pops. Earlier this year, GM made some cost-cutting, uh, some other cost-cutting measures with regards to actually cutting their IT and tech staff. They cut over almost 1,000 IT and tech employees in Arizona that were working on battery efficiency, software products, things like that inside of vehicles. So I don't know, maybe they are just going to go back to the well and say, okay, producing these vehicles is too expensive, too expensive from a human capital standpoint, too expensive from a production standpoint. Um, yeah, maybe we will just go back to more more of what we've we've already done. To me, it signals continued hardship for the automaker. Like these are decisions that if things were going great, they wouldn't be making. They'd be all, you know, full steam ahead. If I'm not mistaken, two, three years ago when money was everywhere, the Fed was printing money, everyone was saying full steam ahead, EVs everywhere, ramping up production, autonomous cars by 2025, 2030. Now we're in the thick of it and they're just looking to make as much money as possible and and, and stymie some of their uh, losses. Well, the the other thing that happened is, uh, you know, three years ago, interest rates were next to nothing. And today, uh, interest rates are very far from next to nothing. And so that has to impact it. You know, when when they were talking about this rapid expansion into EVs, and if they needed to borrow money to underwrite it, well, the cost of borrowing that money was, was negligible. Yeah. Today, the cost of borrowing that money is 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 weighing on a lot of these decisions. I think that's part of it, um, and and I think I think they're beginning to realize, if they hadn't already, that 
they haven't quite figured out how to produce these vehicles, these electric vehicles, the EVs, and and actually be able to make money at it. Um, so I think if it were me and, it, and I was running a production company like that, I, I, I think I'd want to keep producing the vehicles that I actually make money on and, and worry about it later. Um, you know, and, 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 and have the engineers work on figuring out ways to be able to build these EVs, uh, at, in a more cost efficient manner. So you didn't think that the Stellantis decision to uh, not show up at CES, you did not think that is a sign of the auto apocalypse. You think or you don't think GM's decision to press pause on their rapid investment of scaling up production for electric Silverados, is that a sign of the American auto apocalypse or is that just, you know... I think that's just me. Me, I just think that's a business decision to kick the EV can down the road a little bit longer. Um, I, I mean... Ultimately, are they going to have to figure out how to build EVs in a cost-efficient manner so that they can, I don't know, build them, wholesale them to their dealer body and make money on them? Yes, they're going to have to figure that out. Um, are they concerned about figuring that out today? Well, with the strike going on, and, and the strike has to be costing them some money, I think with the strike going on, they're thinking to themselves, well, what's the best way to position ourselves to replenish the losses once the strike is over? And and I believe the quickest and easiest way to replenish those losses would be to produce more ICE vehicles in the near term. And the near term could be, you know, 12 to 18 months. So is that a sign of the apocalypse? I think the real sign of the apocalypse is that these manufacturers haven't figured out how to make these cars in a profitable manner. And if the if the market is going to continue to go towards EVs, it's the EVs that'll kill them. It is the EVs that could ultimately put them out of business. Um, and you know, I know there's people out there that go, yeah, but these businesses have been around for Well, you know, Sears Roebuck was around forever. Um, you know, that was a pretty big company. It ain't so big today. Um, you know, Circuit City was a pretty big company at one time. Uh, you know, the only remnant of Circuit City that still exists is a company called CarMax. Um, yeah. So just because something's been around for a long time and just because it might have been successful for a long time doesn't guarantee that it's going to be successful in the future you know if 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 they missed the window if the big 3 missed the window for when they should have really been sinking some dollars into this and it appears that they did miss that window then you know, the, the trying to catch up could be enough to to ultimately be the demise of their business. I, I hope that's not the case. Of course. You know, I mean, the audio, auto industry employs a lot of people in this country, and it, and it is one of the, one yeah. of the things yeah. as Americans we get to hang our hat on for a lot of the innovations, original innovations of the automobile industry now. There are others within the industry that have taken what what the American automobile manufacturers have done and 
and improved upon it and showed the world that there's better ways to produce things. Um, but that doesn't mean that I, I certainly don't want to see the U.S. auto industry fail. I, I don't think you want yeah. to. Um, no, of course not. Yeah, but but if it fails, Dad, we're out of headlines, man. So I mean, no, there's a real yeah. You're gonna have <laughs> all, a, all you're gonna have a tough time coming up with thumbnails. Um, all jokes yeah. aside, of course, neither of us want to see this industry, the the U.S. component of this industry. Like we're very proud of these companies. That being said, the headwinds that they face are, are numerous and meaningful. Yeah, yeah. They, they're not trivial. Whether whether you believe the CES decision from Stellantis or not, or whatever you make of the GM decision to postpone production, these are really meaningful decisions that are being made in the grand scheme of things, considering they're losing market share to competitors. Mm -hmm. Their uh, quality control issues are numerous and plentiful. And the affordability of their vehicles and consumer demand for their vehicles is plummeting. I mean, Dad, I wasn't going to talk about it on today's show, but I will mention it. I'm going to talk about it tomorrow, but I'll mention it now. The Ford dealer that we work with, I got on a call with them yesterday, mm -hmm. and they're, I don't want to say they're begging, but they're, they're, they're really interested in selling their trucks. They okay. have too many. They, they can't even get them replaced from the manufacturer, but they have too many. Begging's not the right word, but they are, they are highly motivated. Yes. And so we, we negotiated even deeper discounts on their trucks. There's 14 of them that they're just like, Zach, whatever the heck you can do, whatever Car Edge can do to help us sell <laughs> these cars, sell them. We're doing free nationwide delivery. We're paying for it and they're paying for it. We're splitting it. Like, this is a Ford dealer literally on the phone with us saying, we need help to sell cars because the consumer demand isn't there. Blame it on interest rates, sure. But blame it back on Ford for making $75,000 pickup trucks. So yeah, when we talk about this in the, in the whole grand scheme of things, mm -hmm. CES decision, you know, booting, you know, kicking EVs down the, down the line, not that big of a deal. In, the, in, in, uh, in aggregation, Adding them all together? Auto apocalypse, American automakers in major trouble? Not that far-fetched, honestly, which is what makes it kind of scary. Yeah, your, your, your headline today is, is um, you know, uh, almost right on. It, 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 if, if you look deeply at the situation, you could see uh, where the, the, the automakers are in major trouble. Um, you know, Tesla has 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 kicked their collective asses um, in the EV space, and EV penetration is growing. I mean, there's more people that when when the EVs and the Model Three is the perfect example. When the EV becomes less expensive than the comparable ICE vehicle, what's going to happen? People just want to buy transportation that's affordable. And if, if, the, if the affordable option just happens to be that EV, well, they're going to go with the EV. And then if the EV performs the way it's supposed to perform and their fuel costs are considerably less than what they were before. And if their maintenance costs will be considerably less than they were before, well, then why wouldn't they continue to be EV buyers moving forward? Um, so, and I think, I think we're rapidly approaching that tipping point because of the model three. I mean, the That's model three is 38 grand, 38 grand. Now, 
January 1st, it's 38 grand, less $7,500 cash up front that you can apply to that, you know, assuming that you qualify. Um, but but the government will give you that money up front. You might have to pay it back to them later if, if it turns out you didn't qualify, uh, you know, but is it worth the risk of finding out that you didn't qualify and they may never figure it out anyway? So <laughs> for a lot of people, that would be worth that risk. So I, I, I think we're rapidly approaching that tipping point. Um, you know, the Mini iDrive was, was a $45,000 Mini. Now, let's face it, I didn't pay anywhere near $45,000 for the car because I still have one or two friends left in the car business. Um, but if if the if the choice became I could get a car comparable to my Mini um, and it would be considerably less than what I would have to pay for a Mini because of the friends that I have, I very well might end up with an EV. Now, I don't know where the hell I'd charge the damn thing, um, but, you know, I, I might hope that a charge would last a year the way I drive. <laughs> but I, I very – it's possible there, there's, there could be enough savings there that it would make sense. And I think we're, we're rapidly approaching that tipping point, and that's a major, major obstacle – for the for the American automobile manufacturers, they don't know how to build the cars that cheaply. That cheaply and also with quality. The other headline today that ties into this American-made auto apocalypse, Ford recalls nearly 35,000 Mustang Mach-E vehicles amid NHTSA probe. We had reported on the NHTSA probe maybe two weeks ago. The recall yeah. covers 2021-2022 Mustang Mach-E's equipped with an extended range battery and comes after NHTSA in August launched an investigation into Ford's handling of a June 2022 recall of nearly 50,000 of these same vehicles. So the second major recall on the Mustang Mach-E. This is another challenge that the American automakers face is they are naturally predisposed to produce a different powertrain vehicle. Go for it. And and if I may, if, if I remember correctly, um, a gentleman by the name of Kumar Galhorta, who is in charge of like quality control at Ford, um, said, well, you know, we're going to depend on social media to inform us uh, as to what issues there are out there. And in keeping with, with my theory that nothing succeeds quite like failure, that gentleman was named COO of Ford today. Okay? So, yeah, there's another example of... of of the auto apocalypse. apocalypse. I mean, I mean, you 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 take somebody who who's supposed to improve the quality control of your damn product, it doesn't happen, and his reward is well. You're the chief operating officer now. You know, Jim Jimmy Boy. He's the CEO. But. I mean, hell, and, and when and when you do that, and when does that really indicate that you're serious about solving the quality issues that you have? Yeah, he couldn't do that job. Let, let's make him. Let's let, let's put him over top of everything now. That's such BS. Hey, man, I think Mark could be on a son. He must be awesome behind the scenes. Though. All right, <laughs> I bet you he tells a good story. 
<laughs> All right, you know what? We're actually we're actually going to go to uh, to our favorite segment of the show here in just a moment because it ties in with this conversation from Frank. Dead. Remember Frank yeah. from East Hills Jeep in Long yeah. Island? It's been yes. a while. Yeah, hey, Frank. Frank how are you? And thank you. I've uh, luckily been off from work since late August due to my daughter being born. Congratulations, Frank. Yay! I'm debating going back because of all of this. Well, Frank, thanks for queuing me up. I, I hate that your donation reminded me that I got to pitch something. CarEdge.com slash careers. Yes. You're hiring for so many different positions right now. I don't know, Frank. You can take a peek. Maybe something stands out to you. Please, please, please take a look. Uh, if you work in software engineering, if you work in finance, if you work in sales, if you work in customer success, if you want to help people buy cars, we have open positions. We are actively recruiting and hiring. So maybe, Frank, that could keep you working from home, spending time with your daughter, and still you yes. know, making a difference in your industry. There, there could be a way. This, 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 this could be both good for us and good for Frank. And you know, and 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 e- Igor, you don't need a job, and and Igor needs a job. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's let everyone know, Dad. Auto Insiders with Ray Shevska that launches in about twelve days, if I'm not mistaken. And yes, keep me honest here. I think you actually just did an interview this week, earlier this week, with Igor Koski, Mr. Igor from our community. He's a former dealer principal. How did your conversation with Igor go? Give us just like a 30 second, you know, why we should listen when that episode comes out. That was it's such an entertaining, uh, almost hour chat that Igor and I had, um, you know, both because we we each spend quite a bit of time in the automobile industry. Um, but just beyond that, I mean, just life experiences and everything else. And and it, it was really fun to to uh, dive into Igor's past and uh, and and dive into our past and we had we had a great conversation yesterday and literally it was the first time I've ever been face to face with Igor and by the time we were both done we both said hey man we, this just feels like family um you know it's awesome yeah really it, and and I think I think people will find our conversation very interesting when they have the opportunity to uh, listen to it or view it. I really again, do. Again, Auto Insiders with Ray Shevsky comes out in two weeks, just about two weeks. All right, Dad, our favorite segment of the show. Let's go for it. Really? You gotta be kidding me. All right, we will start here, Dad, over on the X platform. I posted this earlier today. A community member of ours sent this in. Buying a car is so confusing, I said. Advertised online is one price. When you get to the dealer, this is what you see. A nearly 25% increase. This was literally just quoted today from uh, Hendrick Chevrolet in Naples. We've got a 2024 Chevy Trax. The MSRP is $26,540. And by the end of it, with taxes and fees, you are all the way up to $33,346, about a 25% Increase now. The really you got to be kidding me for me, pops, was a couple things. One is there are eighteen line items for this vehicle. Eighteen line items to come up with a price. The box with payments does not show anything about what APR they are quoting here. I hate that about it. And my favorite thing about all this was the F and I guy over on X said no one does this. So I screenshotted the screenshot <laughs> <laughs> that Tiffany sent me saying, hi, I am trying to buy for my daughter. 
her first car for Christmas. This is the deal they sent me. Do I have to pay for tinted windows, floor mats, and administration fees? Thanks for the help. I said, Pops. Tiffany, no, you need to negotiate those off. They will charge you the admin fee no matter what, but get rid of everything else. It'll be work. It'll be uncomfortable, but it is reasonable and you should do it. What do you make of this, Pops? Uh, I, I make of it that um, Chevy has come out with an affordable car and the dealers uh, aren't just going to want to sell it at the affordable price point. So, I mean, literally, the, the 25% more of a taxes and title and all that. Okay, yes, but no. And And what I mean by that is what was important was the fact that there were there was a $3,000 upcharge for items that the customer probably did not ask for. The MSRP was $26,400 something. The, the total selling price ended up being $29,400 yep. something. So, you know, you can't escape tax and title and all that. But you can escape the dealer trying to add, I think I saw Lojack for $1,495, um, you know, window, things like 18 line items on the thing, man. Some of them are mandatory, yes. taxes, tags, etc. Not all 18 of them. At a certain point, dealers just have, this was part of the conversation that Igor and I had yesterday. In 2020, Hardly any cars got sold at MSRP, okay? You know, they got discounted. You know, dealers would sell them at invoice, below invoice, a couple hundred dollars over invoice, and they were still making money, okay, because they were making money on holdback and advertising assistance and floor plan assistance and F&I. And, and, well, like if it's the state of Florida and the average dock fee is $1,000, well, even if you sold the car net-net, you're still making $1,000 just from the dock fee. Um, so if dealerships could stay in business during those times and be profitable, they could do the same today and be profitable. It, there is no reason to take a $26,000 car and make it a $29,000 car. Yeah, I understand that you would like to figure out a way to increase your profit margin on that car. Great. Actually, have your F&I manager sell some of the stuff that you're including up front. Actually, have your F&I manager make it worthwhile to the customer. And if they see the value in it, let them buy it. If If they don't see the value in it, don't force them to buy it. And so... It's 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 those type of practices that will that continue to cause people to dist distrust dealerships, and it doesn't have to be that way. It just I mean I say it all. It just doesn't have to be that way. You could take that same car, you could sell it for MSRP. You could have the customer go into the F&I office and the, and the F&I manager could make a compelling argument as to why that customer might need X, Y, and Z. And if the argument is compelling enough and has enough value to it, then the customer will say yes to that. That's how you build your profit margin. You don't force it on your customer. So, 
I I just somehow we have to convince dealer principals to be principled in how they run their business. Again, we'll be talking about it more tomorrow because it goes live tomorrow. But you can still call us if you want to call us. Uh, the Ford dealer that we work with, they are exactly like that. We we have agreed upon the ground rules of selling a car with Car Edge to our community members. It's one dealer. We got to get like a thousand more in the program, but it's very straightforward. Car gets delivered to your door. There's no additional fees or add-ons or anything like that. The price is a very fair price. Simple concept. They get to make actually more money because it should be less expensive for them to sell it. So you and me are aligned. We'll keep working on this mission for years to come. All right. I had one more dad and it's kind of long-winded, but I think it's worth bringing up. So let me read you this story that I saw earlier today. Okay. okay? This is a funny, funny tweet, man. Just let me go. All right. Yeah. For anyone here who hasn't worked in corporate strategy at a Fortune 500 company and wants to understand how utterly boneheaded decisions such as changing your customer's cell phone plans unless they proactively call to opt out get made, here's a quick explainer. You ready? Mm Mm-hmm. This chain of events typically starts during a quarterly board of directors meeting during which an independent director, generally a current or retired CEO of a company in a different non-competing industry, says that the CEO isn't making enough money and that that's that it's the fault of the CEO, that the company's not making enough money. Yes. That's the fault of the CEO who's supremely, who is a supremely unqualified buffoon. Tangent. Every board director has his own pet favorite metric, be it growth, example, year-over-year sales, profitability, example, EBITDA margin, investor returns, example, change in share price if public or return on invested capital if private, or some Byzantine metric that he used to love when he was the division president of of a Mob Bell (laughs) carve-out back in the 1980s. Example, change in same-store gross profit divided by the number of people on the sales team raised to the power of pi and divided by 1998, which represents the year his current girlfriend was born. (laughs) The exact metric doesn't matter. What matters is that, by the standards thereof, the CEO sucks. The independent director will then pull open the calculator app on his iPhone 7, punch some numbers in, and say something to the effect of, quote, if we can increase revenue per customer by just $5, our market cap will increase by billions. Get your strategy team to figure it out. From here, the CEO and CFO will then set up a meeting with the senior vice president of corporate strategy for 7.15 a.m. the next morning to be held in the locker room of the country club whose $20,000 annual membership dues the company's shareholders generously cover. Sitting in the sauna, buck naked, save for the bleached white towels, barely sufficient for the mission to which they've been called, the executives will decide that the most prudent course of action is to call McKinsey and pay them approximately $2.5 million to figure (laughs) this out for them. Note, the CFO will get a quote from his buddy at Deloitte and KPMG just to be able to tell the board that they solicited competing bids, but everyone knows that the work is going to end up with McKinsey or Bain. McKinsey will rapidly set up an office in a large conference room on site as if it is the makeshift command and control center of an air base in Kuwait on the eve of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And they'll deploy in a a dozen MBAs with a weighted average age of 26 and a half years across the company's headquarters. The consultants will meticulously evaluate all levers for revenue growth including M&A, mergers and acquisitions, organic growth from new customers, and organic growth from existing customers, either by reducing churn or just finding ways to get more money out of each one. 
Mergers and acquisitions will quickly get crossed off the list since McKinsey doesn't want Goldman coming in and taking over. <laughs> and new customer growth isn't always just painful, is always just painful. So by process of elimination, they'll decide on getting more money from existing customers. After performing an analysis called customer segmentation, McKinsey will realize that the company has already squeezed every last dollar possible <laughs> out of the company's highest paying customers whose loyalty is already pushed to the limit. They will therefore instead try and figure out how to get more money from lower paying customers. Associate number one, how do we get more money from our cheapest customers? Associate number two, can we go back to selling ringtones like we did in 1998? <laughs> Associate number one, I did a case study on that at Harvard Business School. 10 minutes go by. Anyway, that's why it won't work. What if we just dot, 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 raised prices? Associate two, these customers are highly price sensitive. We can't do that unless the customers think they're getting additional value. I'm going to continue. Partner one, dialing in from McKinsey's G6 private jet in route to their bi-weekly partner offsite in Bermuda. Just change them over to an upgraded plan, add five bucks to their bill, and let them call to opt out if they don't like it. Associates one and two, simultaneously. Sir, you are brilliant. The associates will go on to conduct a handful of focus groups to check the box and be able to tell the company that they won't actually lose customers by doing this. Side note, they'll be wrong. And they'll build a financial model showing that the loss in customers is offset by the higher average sales price. Again, wrong. All of this will be summarized in no fewer than 80 PowerPoint slides in the main deck and another 120 in a deck of supplementary materials. No, that's not an exaggeration. With enough charts to cause even the most hardcore of actuaries to reconsider his life <laughs> and contemplate getting a job as a poolside bartender at Margaritaville. Once finalized, the McKinsey partner and the SVP of strategy will present their work to the board who will spend no more than 90 seconds discussing it before approving the changes over their second round of old fashions that afternoon. <laughs> and that's why your phone bill keeps going up. P.S. Two years later, the new strategy that has been demonstrably proven not to work, McKinsey will once again re-engage re <laughs> to figure out a better approach. For those of you wondering, this is in response to T-Mobile, who has done exactly this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. You so know. I bring that up because we're talking about these big corporations. And when I read that this morning, Dad... I was laughing out loud. I thought you'd get a kick out of it. I, I do get a kick out of it because, you know, I've worked for some large corporations. Um, the Penske organization was one of them. And yes, the, the solution to uh, so many of our problems is to call in consultants who aren't really going to come in with a solution, but they're going to come up with something, damn it, because you paid them enough money that they have to. Um, yeah, the folly of of how... Corporations spend money is that could be a sitcom. And that and what you just read is proof positive that there was no reason for Stellantis to pull out of the consumer electronics show. <laughs> okay, I'm telling you, they piss away more money on an annual basis on stuff like that, on on with with consultants and Money that just doesn't need to be spent. But everybody, it's its like its like this giant house of cards. Everybody just agrees to spend it. Wild, man. Yeah. I thought that story was just yeah. an awesome, awesome read. That, that, is, uh, that, that is. Please don't ever let that happen to you. 
No, no, absolutely not. All right, guys, if we can help guys and gals, caredge.com, C-A-R-E-D-G-E.com. That's where we have all of our resources, help you buy a car, sell a car, protect your vehicle. Pops, we will be back tomorrow at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. It's been fun all week long, and I can't wait to continue tomorrow with you, Pops. Oh, I'm I'm looking forward to it as well. And uh, after this, I, I think I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm off to the future store. I'm off to Castles to find out what food's going to cost me five years from now if I go to a regular supermarket. But I can pay those prices today at Castles. <laughs> Love you, Pops. Have fun. Love you, too. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> See you then. Bye. Yep.